It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Kay Wenigal. Hi Nat, hi listeners. And Michael Steindl. G'day everyone, good to be with you again. Today we're continuing our series of shows exploring energy and industry as we lead up to the release of BZE's Electrifying Industry Report. The report will be launched on September 13th at the Melbourne Synchrotron, no less, and the launch is part of an all-day summit for manufacturers to access information and networks to assist in improving energy efficiency and reducing costs with renewable energy. So today, to continue that theme, we're talking with Edmund Boland, Supply Chain Manager at an Australian-owned company, Anchor. The name Anchor stands for Australian Numerical Control and Automation, and they're a world leader in computer numerical controls, otherwise known as CNC, um, grinding machines and CNC systems. As a manufacturer in Australia, Anchor have been impacted by the continual increase in electricity prices, as have so many others. Edmund will take us through the effects power costs have had on their company and the solutions that Anchor has undertaken. Hi, Edmund. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, firstly, Edmund, can you give us a bit more background on your company, what it does and where your markets are? Yeah, so we're an Australian-owned company, privately owned. We are in advanced manufacturing. We manufacture uh, precision 5-axis CNC grinding machines. Um, So, basically, what they are is... We sell to companies like Boeing or Foxconn or some of the automotives like uh, Mitsubishi or Volvo or Toyota, and they use our machines to make uh, industrial cutting tools that are then used in their production. So, for example, the Boeing Dreamliner is all the holes for the rivets are drilled using one of our tools made on one of our machines at Boeing. Fantastic. So, obviously, they're not made in Australia, the, the Boeings. So, where, where do your machines go to? Yeah, so we're about a 99.95% uh, export. Uh, the, on, the, the only uh, big customer we have here, actually, is Sutton Tools. Got uh, some other customers with some machines, but they're the only ones with multiple. So, we our biggest markets are places like China, the US, Germany, Japan, Turkey, and, well, for a while anyway, and... We, uh, we, we sell to a diverse range of industries as well. So, you know, as I said, the aerospace, automotive, medical, general engineering, defence, a whole range of industries. Gee, it's so diverse, isn't it? That's fantastic. Mm. So that really puts a lie to the, the thing that we are so often told that manufacturing in Australia and especially export, ones that export overseas is really defunct. Do you, do you think you're alone in that? No, I, I think it's a bit of a myth that manufacturing is dead in Australia. It's definitely changed. The automotive industry leaving, it's, uh, it means that the industry has had to adapt. But we're actually growing again now as well, which people don't realise. We can compete, but we just have to compete in certain areas. So we can't compete on the mass volume market anymore, like the automotives did. 
but we can compete with where our skills are better and also our technology is better. So it is alive and kicking. And did the close of the automotive industry affect you much? For us, because we're about 99% export, it didn't affect us in terms of our uh, like top-level line. However, where it did affect us is we do see a, we did see a retraction in the skill base, and we we are worried about some of the really good best practice that you get out of the automotive industry that we used to uh, be able to uh, lean on and take on people from that industry that isn't there anymore. So we we have to look at strategies like looking overseas more for some of those skills. So in terms of your labour force, do you have many apprenticeships, or what's it consist of? Yeah, so. In Australia, we have about 450 people, a whole mix of it. We've got about 150 on the floor, um, and then we've got about 150 engineers. Apprentices we've got, we let on between four and five per year, um, and it's a four-year program. Um, And then the fifth year, we try and get them overseas, servicing our machines, uh, working in our branches to get exposed to our customers. Um, And it works really well. So we, we, we have a some really good skills coming in and they can go down different pathways so we have electrical apprentices we have uh, mechanical so they run the uh, run our machine shops and then also we've got fitters that actually put our machines together wow so that's a very strong development program to have i guess 20 in out of 150 yeah it, it's it's very important for us because if you were going to build a machine uh, start a machine tool business you would never start in australia all our competitors are in germany or switzerland or japan and there's no other machine tool builder there's one very small one in australia so we have to grow our own skills so you have offices all around the world, but is the manufacturing done only in Australia? Uh, no, we have a manufacturing site in Taiwan and in Thailand as well. Mm-hmm. So Taiwan does our CNCs, which is the, effectively a computer, and in Thailand we do sheet metal and also our low-end products. So they do our wiring of our cabinets and things like that, um, and we keep all the high-end stuff in Australia. So, Edmund, your company's known for its innovation, and you've reduced labour costs by implementing more efficient processes such as the linear pallet pull that you described to me, LLP, and that allows automatic running of three machines. Can you give us a breakdown of your energy, labour and material costs here? Okay. Um, yeah, so it's very important to have a stable and cost-effective electricity price. And the reason for that is one of the reasons why we can be successful in Australia is one is I said before the skill of the people but and process improvement but also automation so we we have invested in automation in certain areas of our business and so for example we have a as you said an LPP machine it's got 36 pallets three machines in it for machining our castings now you would think that something like that wouldn't be able to be cost effective in Australia but because of that automation it takes away the labor component of it plus you've got better skilled engineers that can work on process improvement and fitters that can work on process improvement on that so that we are more competitive than anywhere in the world doing that. And that's based on automation. Where where the challenge comes from that, though, is that if your electricity prices are erratic or, or increasing too much, all of a sudden you'll find that you're not competitive anymore because that's what you're competing on. Thanks for that background. Coming to the core of what we want to talk about today, Erin, Anchor was spending something just shy of half a million dollars a year on uh, electricity. That was a, a under a contract, so you're paying a fixed rate. 
that expired and you came to renew it and you got a very rude shock, didn't you? What, what happened there? Yeah, that was, uh, uh, not many people were very happy about that one. We, we went along and we, we were coming up to the end of our contract and, uh, so we started negotiation for the next round and, uh, our incumbent supplier at the time basically whacked us with a 105% increase. Um, so. Oh, double, doubling you. Effectively, yeah, yes. Yeah. And so we went out to another, what we thought was reputable <laughs> electricity company, and they actually quoted at 200% to what our, our one is Stop at the getting moment. quotes. <laughs> <laughs> is that an uncommon situation, or, or is that happening all over the place in Australia to companies? Look, I, I can't speak for other companies. I am part of a couple of networks, and, they, and there is always a grumbling, but the specifics I couldn't speak to. But I would say that... Any other type of commodity or supplier has never done that to us before, and uh, I wouldn't imagine it. So all of a sudden, getting whacked with this one is a is a very rude shock. Did they explain mm. why they were increasing the prices by so much? No, they just put the quote in. And this this comes to one of the problems actually of of these uh, these electricity companies is transparency. It is very hard to get a clear answer out of them which is something that uh, we struggled with. So when we went through the process of trying to find a new one, really it was very opaque about the reasons for these increases. And, you know, they say, oh, you know, look around, you know, electricity prices are increasing, but it's like, well, give us the reasons. And they really struggled to do that. Mm. Uh, I can actually answer my own question. It is happening everywhere, even a friend running a nursing home in Colac. The prices just doubled overnight, Mm. and, and that's with the benefit of government contracts and stuff too, in spite of that. So what was your solution? How did you address it, your anchor? Okay, so we, we did a couple of things. So we did some internal research to try and find other providers. And then we also, and this is how we actually stumbled across Flow Energy, we're part of a uh, an association called Best Practice Network. And it's a great association. It uh, tries to link um, manufacturing companies together and uh, is really passionate about keeping manufacturing alive and well. And this is in Australia, is it? Yeah, it's an Australian association, although they have links with other associations globally. Um, and they had a day where Flow Energy came out and did actually a, a speech. And, uh, is that Flow Energy or Flow Flag, Power? Flow Power. Power, sorry, yeah, yeah. Flow Power. Well, who we've actually had on here. So, oh, yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, Flow Power, sorry. Yeah, and that's how we actually found them, and they, they ended up being the cheapest that we could find. Did you have others that you could compare it to, or was Flow Power quite unique in its offerings? It was very unique in its offerings. Uh, the fact that it was renewable energy and it had a, a proper structure around that and mechanisms to handle the, the ebbs and flows of the energy is something that we, we hadn't come across before. So you've gone with a renewable energy contract, or what, what was the solution that you came to with Flow Power? Yeah, so renewable energy was very very attractive to us but to be honest the the biggest driver is cost yes um, and they they as well as being in the renewable energy space and like personally it makes us very proud to say that it was also the cheapest it was the most cost effective and it was also offering deals that you could lock in for extended periods so for our contract it was 10 years and that provides stability which is very important in our business. And when, so it stops that 100% or doubling of prices overnight, mm. which is obviously very important to us. So what were the original contract periods? Previously, we'd been on three-year three contracts. So you prefer the 10-year contract because you know what you 
Ex- exactly. So we, 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 we're never complacent and we, we always see that we are really competing globally. And so we need um, baselines to work off for our strategic planning purposes to make sure that we can actually continue to be viable in Australia in our manufacturing. And having, that's very important to have that long-term outlook. That, that really highlights... The huge advantage of renewables there, doesn't it? Because when the energy, when, when the fuel is free, they can predict that far out. Mm. They don't have to worry about, say, mining costs for uranium or, or yeah. coal or something going up. It's, it's fuel, free fuel and they can give you a 10 year contract with that guarantee. <laughs> I understand, though, it's, there still was a price increase, wasn't there? Yeah, it was still a 50% increase um, on our Compared current. to a 100 or a 200% increase. Exactly. So <laughs> it, it was the most cost-effective option at the time. So, so you ended up with a, a 10-year PPA with renewables. So what, what percentage of your energy consumption does that cover? Okay, so it's 79.4% or something like we'll that. Say 3. Yeah, 80%. <laughs> no, 0.3%. <laughs> so that it covers that. And then the other, the other 20% we uh, get off the spot market. We also have a customs customers proportion at the Ararat wind farm of 0.86%. So effectively, we're locking in 0.86% of the output of the Ararat farm. So that actually equated to uh, 1.39 megawatts for us out of that out of that facility. And sorry, what sort of percentage is that? Is that the 80% of your consumption? Yes, correct. Right. So Why did you go for 80%? What was the thinking behind that? That that was because we didn't we wanted to hedge it slightly. So being able to go to the spot rate for twenty percent did mean that if the prices did drop down, then we did have a, uh, and that was the recommendation of flow, I believe. So on the, the flip side, the other twenty percent, if I understand correctly, there's two ways you can do that. One is what I, I think you've done is is the spot market. The other way is what's called firming, isn't it, where you can actually ask your supplier to back it up and, and give you a guarantee for that, but you've elected not to go that way. Yeah, so we're, effectively the firming is like hedging, like it's mm-hmm. a financial hedge. Yep. Um, and yes, flow are the ones that actually do take that on, but at the end of the day we're the ones that you know, have to pay the premiums and et cetera mm-hmm. to, to, to lock that in. Uh, and we, we have been burnt, burnt in hedging in the past, which is another story for another time. So uh, we, we prefer to keep it at the spot market for that amount because we're already fixing a 80% of the cost. If, if you've just joined us, um, we're listening, we're talking <laughs> with actually and listening very carefully to Edmund Boland from Anchor. So Edmund, are there any other costs on top of that? that Directly with that contract, no. Um, we are, as part of this whole process, we are trying to minimise our electricity as well because we did see a 50% increase anyway so we do need to try and mitigate that so we are investing in um, infrastructure around our facility um, to try and reduce that we, for example we've installed LED lights throughout our facility now we're replacing um, some of our old machines in the machine shop that are a lot more power hungry than uh, the newer machines um, so we've done some significant investment there So what um, sort of payback are you expecting on, on those big investments? Uh, anything uh, five years and below, we're happy with with some of these infrastructure types. Um, generally, we we're not happy with a payback of more than three years. But when it comes to these large uh, investments, five years is generally what what we're happy with. We we did look at putting solar panels onto our roofs. Um, unfortunately, that was I think it was 
um, nine years um, payback. So unfortunately, it was just a little bit too long for us to be able to justify it at this time. But I'm sure in the future that, that it will become a more attractive option. It surprises me that it's, it's that long. Yeah. Um, it must be the good deal you've negotiated with Flowpower. <laughs> <laughs> When we spoke to Flowpower a few weeks ago, they were talking about topping up that amount that you're actually contracted for by demand management. Was that something that you considered? Yeah, so so that that's when if uh, if the, it's not windy and the, they they don't generate as much power, we we like turn off machines or something. And in certain industries, that that is that does work. For unfortunately for ours, it doesn't um, because we our biggest electricity user is our machine shop, and we can't just turn off machines. We have to. Uh, Keep keep producing parts day in day yeah. out day in day out twenty four seven yeah not like mm. an aluminium refinery that can turn off a pot for an hour yeah and, exactly and just let it stay warm yeah. um did did we finish on the previous question on the energy efficiency moves you've made um, you mentioned both the lighting and some of the older machines um, and payback on those did you do you have a well the 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 older machines you can justify it um, so the payback on them is between two and three years, um, yep. those machines. And what other steps in energy efficiency are you taking? Uh, you, you can look all around. So, you know, the, from the simplest stuff of putting in automatic light sensors, um, which we've done, mm-hmm. um, but also other infrastructure um, around the facility, such as our air compressors we've replaced um, and a couple of other you know, type infrastructure things that we're replacing because they are energy hungry. Mm-hmm. So you've got... A really active campaign going around looking at what devices are using high, abnormally or, or too high a proportion of power for what you could do now. Yeah, look, and it's a double advantage as well because it's not it's not just energy usage that you're looking about. When you invest in uh, new equipment, the efficiency levels come up as well. So you, it's it's uh, it's a benefit in, in a number of areas. Is heating and cooling also a consideration in your setting? Um, yeah, we, we try and set a steady. Um, steady uh, temperature um, some of our facility especially in our high precision areas needs to be temperature controlled um, and we depending on the time of the year will change that temperature so that you know, it's the most efficient in terms of, uh, of uh, power um, but also provides a stable temperature for our, our grinding to micron requirements What sort of heating and cooling do you have? We have uh, air conditioners and heaters. That's okay, so electric. <laughs> yeah, electric. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most of your energy use is electric, or are you using other forms, uh, gas or anything like that? Uh, well, in terms of energy, it's um, mostly electric. We, mm-hmm. we do have gas. Um, we also have um, pneumatics, which is air as well, um, for but, running certain things. But, but that's run by electric compressors, of course. Correct, yeah. So in terms of the... BZE's Electrifying Industries Summit, you're fairly well placed already. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You are nearly all electric. Yeah, we like to think so, yes. (laughs) So there's a packaging company, Aurora, um, which has seen energy costs more than double in three to four years. Um, They're handling their need for firm power in different ways in two of its renewable PPAs with wind farms. MD Nigel Gerard said that... Uh, sorry, they've made Australia's first baseload renewables deal and that allows the company to access electricity at an agreed price irrespective of whether or not the wind is blowing and producing renewable energy. Um, the contract involves power from Macquarie Capital, capital-backed LLL wind farm. Do you see that as a, a possibility for you in the near future to, to actually... Uh, I know you, you said you prefer the spot price at the moment, but would you like 
to have firmed um, <coughs> renewables if if that becomes available? Yeah, so potentially. Um, as I said, though, we, we, we do like to have a little bit of the spot price in there because it does mean that it mitigates the risk of fixing the prices. Um, so we are, we are conscious of that. Um, but if the model made sense, then, yeah, we, we would look at it. Um, we did do, as part of the, our, um, the process of going with flow, was to do financial models, and at that point in time it did make sense to go with the spot rate. So For us, anyway. Can you, in this 10-year contract period, can you alter those conditions? At the, or do you have to wait until the 10 years is up? Um, oh, there, there's certain clauses that um, give you outs and things like that, but um, we, we have no intention of doing that. I just mean in terms of if you think that 20% is too much to risk with the spot pricing, could you extend your contract to 90%? Um, yes, there is there is terms in there that would allow you to do that, um, but it, it it is there's some um, commercial realities that you'd have yeah, to of course, yeah. to go through for that. Yeah. yeah. So you're actually anticipating that the spot pricing is going to go down because the, of what reason? That there's going to be more and more renewables coming in, driving the price down, or it's not necessarily about whether it's going to go down or up. We don't know, and so. Um, trying to predict that we, we find is, can be, uh, a, a risk to the business. Um, so having that a little bit that, you know, it may go up and may go down. We'll win sometimes, we'll lose sometimes. Um, but at least it's there. And when, when you're talking about the spot market, it is lower than what the, um, fixed rate generally is. Um, you know, in five years time, we're, we're not sure about that because we fixed it now. But, um, at the moment, that's, that's how, uh, we feel it's the best way to set up the strategy for us. Was the, uh, given that uh, we're hearing a lot about companies nowadays who are suddenly hit with this issue of having to give really serious consideration to their energy costs, and typically they haven't had that expertise in-house, they haven't been used to doing that sort of thinking, was that a difficult process for your company to come to terms with and actually start to understand what even a PPA is, let alone all the other considerations, and, and to evaluate them and to find suppliers like Repower? Oh, yeah, very much so. So generally the way that it would work in the past is that they'd come around, they'd give you the next contract, you'd sign it and you'd move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when you, you, you have to quickly stop, think and uh, figure out what you're going to do when you get whacked with a, a potential of doubling of your cost. And um, as we said before, the electricity cost, if it, if it doubles or um, goes up even more, that could be the um, nail in the coffin for our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very significant so thing to say. <laughs> and and yeah. it is. So, uh, it, look, not, not for all, all areas, but as I said, you know, we, we, we have a significant machine shop, and if, mm-hmm. if, our, if our prices double, and it's an important component of the cost of the, the, of the part that you get off the machine, mm-hmm. um, Again, it's that competing against the globe. All of a sudden, you'll become um, non-competitive, mm-hmm. and uh, and that, that's that, that's uh, dangerous. BZD has put out a, a report, Australia Renewable Energy Superpower. So, um, playing on the fact that we have been effectively a fossil fuel superpower up to now, and that's given us a, a, a huge boost in our economy and, and the highest standard of living in the world, probably. Um, but we're trying to convince Australia to actually make that swing around mm. to recognising that we can't burn fossil fuels anymore mm. um, and that we also are the richest per head in the world in, in renewable energy. So mm. that, that's great that you're leading the way with actually taking up that, um, that option. 
How did you go about that process of educating yourselves and researching the avenues that you had open to you? Okay, so, so as I said, we, we had a look at the, around at the major players in the industry, um, just in desktop research effectively, um, and then we went out to our external networks and um, had discussions with them as well. And, and so, as I said, the, the best practice network was the one that uh, helped us um, find, find the right Right, right thing. After that, we went through a tender process. Um, so ob- obviously, with that, people put in their submissions. You know, the tender, the the company that put in a two hundred percent, we said, uh, uh, <laughs> go away. And then we and then we uh, had a look at, at at the others. And you know, through that process, is how we made our decision. So, just uh, our last um, last minute, Edmund, can you just tell us? Uh, coming back to the start about manufacturing in Australia and the, the, um, any bright sparks you see there, or green green shoots of of what's happening, because we don't hear of good stories like yours very often. Yeah, look, uh, there, there's many good stories of manufacturing in Australia. So there's you know you've got companies like Morand that uh, transitioned from the automotive industry and now they're big into the defence industry. You've got Lovett Engineering that uh, produces parts for um, Boeing um, and successfully exports them uh, around the world. Um, you've got um, you know, Techni that does water jets that export around the world, uh, water jet cutters. You've got, you know, I could, the list goes on and on. There, there's many good stories yeah, that are still going. <laughs> yeah, that's and, and that's really good to know. And I'd imagine that they'll all be in the same boat as you, looking for PPA agreements now with power oh, well, pricing going the way it is. Well, let's hope. Well, I think we've just run out of time, Edwin, so thank you very much for coming today and shedding the light on what your company does. And no, thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, congratulations <laughs> on that, that step you've taken. I, I, that's great having a concrete example like that. Thanks again, Edmund. We've been talking to Edmund Bollin from Anchor. Edmund's colleague will be presenting, or Edmund himself, I think, is presenting. Yep, I'll be the one. <clears throat> at the BZE Electrifying Industry Summit on Monday that, September 13th. If you're interested in attending the summit, please go to the website electrifyingindustry.org.au. In the coming weeks, we'll continue to examine various aspects of the electrifying industry in the lead-up to the BZE release of the report. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to the BZE website, bze.org.au, and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.